0: Live from the hills of Judea is the Land of Israel Fellowship with rabbis Arya Bramowitz and Jeremy Gimpel.
1: It's good to see all of you. Very, very good to see all of you. Uh, this is a an interesting fellowship. Going into it, there's been a lot of work. It feels to me like there are strong uh, powers pushing against these fellowships. Sometimes, not just the fellowships. All the light that we're trying to bring, I've never felt such various forces of resistance or darkness coming from both within me, from outside in general. Uh, This fellowship going into it was no different. And so it's just like, for me, I just brought together everything I had. I know I have so much more in me than I wanted, but what I have to share is, I guess, what Hashem wanted me to be able to share And uh, thank God I have my commander, my best friend, Jeremy, next to me. We're going to have Tahila joining us also. Hopefully, we'll have time to hear from all of you. And it will be what it should be. You know, maybe things aren't always supposed to be so well organized and, uh, you know, scripted in our heads. Maybe it's just supposed to be a messy sort of thing that just happens. And uh, so anyways, um, I'm going to let Jeremy begin. Okay, I'm going to move over because we've learned that it's best to speak. Ow!
2: (laughs) Okay. Hi everyone. Shalom everybody. So nice to see you all. Um you know, it, it, life in Israel is just a roller coaster. It's just, you know, from the uh, each one of these hostage releases is like an entire uh full season drama that you couldn't have made up on your own. It's and now we're back at war with Hamas. It's like such a roller coaster ride. It's hard to sort of keep our heads straight. And the one practice that I have that has kept me somewhat sane is just a constant connection to above, a constant reaching out to God. You know, there is um, the practical world. And that's really what most of the news is about, what needs to be done and what's pragmatic and what's practical. But what happened on October 7th was just a revelation of evil in the world, an exposed um, darkness that wasn't practical and it wasn't political. And there's no real rationale behind it. It is clearly a spiritual war. And so in order to keep our heads straight, the norm needs to be that we speak in a spiritual language. And you just don't hear that on the media. You don't really see that in our the words of our politicians. And the reality of this war is a spiritual reality. And eventually, what's happening now is that the nation of Israel is slowly starting to speak in religious, spiritual languages. It's because there's no other way to process what we're going through now. It is such an obvious um. Transcendent reality. It's transcendently evil what we encountered, and the heroism of the soldiers that just going out to battle the forces of evil, it's a transcendent force. And so everyone is sort of living now in a little bit of a transcendent consciousness. And so for us to tap into that and to speak that and to pray with that is the only way to keep our heads straight. And so I wanted to take this opportunity together. That we gather once a week from all over the world. It's still no other gathering that I know of anywhere in the world that gathers centered in the land of Israel, rooted in this land, rooted in our faith in God. From so many different backgrounds, just a real picture of what life could be. And in in so many ways, you know, Israel was chosen. Chosen for what? That's the big question. And what's become clear to me is when israel is secure the nations of the world will be secure and until israel is secure then look at what's happening in ireland another terror attack look what's happening in paris another terror attack look at the streets of montreal look at the christmas tree lighting in new york until israel is secure the world will not be secure when israel is in its place and the world, each nation can be in their place. So we were chosen as sort of the linchpin that when that finally gets put in its place, everything will fall into place. And now that's not rational. That's not practical. Israel is a tiny country, the size of New Jersey. That's not political. I mean, there's bigger nations, the Ukraine, on the there's all these words, but the real truth of this war is that God's will is being revealed in the world through Israel, and the new era that we are entering into will be defined by Israel through Israel, and prayer is our life source. It's what this is all about, because ultimately the final vision is a house of prayer for all nations. And right now, the one place, God chose one people. He chose one land. He chose one city. And in that city, he chose one place. And on that one place, the Temple Mount is a house of prayer for one nation. It's the exact mirror opposite of what should be in the world. And what this war is all about, really the root of it, that's what the Hamas call it. The Hamas call it the flood of the Temple Mount. Now, we know the flood of the Temple Mount, a flood is going to come out of the Temple Mount. That's right. Zechariah, the prophecy, living waters are going to flood out of Jerusalem. It's like the mirror opposite. It's like our enemies are telling us without even knowing what they're saying, what is going to happen. And the only way to bring that reality into the world is through prayer. So let's take this opportunity for the chosen ones around the world to come together at this time to bring that reality a little closer. So Hashem, master of the universe, king of kings, the one who is running the show here. We've encountered so much evil in the world, so much darkness. Let us see the light emerge from this darkness. Hashem, give our leaders the strength and the courage to finish the job. Help us keep our eyes on the ultimate prize which is Jerusalem. Let us see your presence return to our capital. Let us see your temple built and let us see all the nations of the world unite in love and in prayer and reflect your light into the world. Like we were called to be Hashem protect the soldiers of Israel. Now guard them, guide them, give them courage, give them wisdom, give them victory. Hashem, we have a chance now to shift from King Saul, who could not finish the job, to King David, who set the groundwork for the temple in Jerusalem. Hashem, let us move from King Saul and from another operation that's just striking at the enemy, but not really bringing full victory. Let us transition from Sha'ul, To David. Let us be worthy of being that generation. Hashem, send Mashiach now. Send us the leader. We'll all know it when he arrives. Send us the leader to lead us to victory and finish the job. Amen. All right, my friends. And so I have a few ideas that I wanted to share before I pass it off to Ari. And Oh, that's true. Also, Tahila will be joining us. That's true. I'm going to pass it off to Tahila, and then Tahila will pass it off to Ari. Um, but what I wanted to point out was, you know, Israel was chosen to be a light unto the nations, and so either we will bring the light, or by our sheer existence, we will expose the darkness. And October seventh, just by being Jews, the evil was attracted to us and just revealed darkness that. I don't think our minds really could have imagined. the. I try not to read the stories, but every once in a while, my eyes just kind of catch a few sentences. And it's just, it's beyond comprehension. And to expose the darkness is to expose the lies. And, you know, it's amazing that there were so many rape victims in October 7th. And the UN Women's Rights you know, Division would not condemn Hamas. And then finally, they sort of made a condemnation. Then they retracted their condemnation. And it's like, really? How, where are all the feminists now? And then you see that that whole movement is just a lie. It wasn't true. Not only were their motivations not really about women's rights, but the whole movement was a lie where they're saying men and women are equal. They should be in sports together. They should be in the cage and UFC fighting together. And they should just be transgenders in sports and nothing really matters. And then all of a sudden there's a reality. Um, There are no atheists in foxholes. That's a famous saying that when you're really in trouble, you call out to God. There are no feminists in hostage negotiations. As soon as reality actually comes in, it was like, Bring our children and bring our mothers home. Bring the women and bring the children. There were no like, uh, well, there's equal rights for the equal men. It's like reality is that there are, um, we're okay. Not okay, but like men and soldiers in hostage. We can handle that. Women and children, the mothers of those children. It's like just exposing the lies that in our hearts we all knew that they were lies but the media and disney and all these you know just brainwashing their lies that the lies should reign and not the truth and when we talked yesterday about really going to the root of this war where it like unites all of these um, forces so last week we called them the forces of tum'ah of death versus the forces of life of tahara And if you really, like, look at the characteristics, death, lies, just the chaos that they want to ensue, fear, what is terrorism? It's like to cause terror, to broadcast fear, destruction. Think about all of these attributes that the other side that Israel is fighting represents. Death, lies, chaos, fear, destruction, if you had to describe the attributes of evil in the world, I Ari doesn't like it when I use the word Satan, because it's almost like, well, it's there's but if you had to describe that force in the world, if you go to the heart of it,
1: the only term I don't remember.
2: death, lies, chaos, fear, destruction. It's like, whoa, that whole force, where is it targeting right now? It's targeting Israel. But here is the truth. And this is just the first layer of truth. The the first layer of truth is that the Israeli-Arab conflict, it's not that complicated. 99.7% of the Middle East and North Africa is controlled by one religion, which is ethnically cleansed pretty much all of the other religions out. The conflict has nothing to do with land. It's about jihad, which is conquest through the sword. And in reality, the Arabs colonized Judea, ethnically cleansed nearly the entire Middle East and North Africa. And they, until today, continuously persecute all of the minorities that unfortunately have to live under their reign. And so what's so important to understand here is that the jihadists they don't want palestine they're like all of the the you know the marches and protests it's like free free palestine they have over 50 states already what they want by their own voices is to submit everyone else and that's why the right wing in america now the conservative voices that are calling to be isolationists and they're saying well let israel deal with israel's problems America first, we got to deal with America's problems. So when you try to either ignore evil or appease evil, you will wake up one morning where you can't even have your traditional holidays in the capital of New York City. If you ignore the evil that's attacking the Jews, it's just a matter of time until they attack the rest of the world. That's what we were chosen for, to expose the darkness for where they're in. And so a moment is going to come soon that is going to change everything. I don't exactly know what that moment looks like. And I don't think that it's necessarily going to be the moment that the Mashiach reveals himself in the world. It's something that's before that. Something's going to happen to the nation on a national level, on a global level, where a brit happens, a new covenant. You know, they say in the book of Deuteronomy that Hashem is going to he's going to circumcise our hearts what is that a breed is a commitment it's going to be a moment that's going to change everything and so i want to share this one video with you in just a second because i imagine that that moment changed this woman's life it was a video that i saw last night and i'll give you the context this woman's husband was in gaza in grave danger and she wanted to perform the mitzvah of hafrashat challah of separating the challah and she gets dozens of her friends all around her and she's doing this mitzvah and the title of the video when i saw it was tell me that god exists without saying that god exists watch <laughs> this video
1: <laughs> תראי שזה לא בן רק מוחמוש של פנים זו לקפרת אבונות את אני רוצה לדבר
2: you know i've i've watched that video now like five times i had to put the subtitle so our fellowship could understand it in english and every time i watch it it makes me tear up i'm like such a softy this war has just softened my heart that i can't help but i've watched that video so many times and each time i watch it it makes me cry but i just think about what happened for that woman at that moment as she's saying "Hashem, just please let this a tone for my sins and it's like immediately the phone rings you know i have a dear friends in this fellowship and they've been on quite a life journey and i don't want to mention their names i don't want to embarrass them but you know they're from tennessee and they are just good folk but they kind of grew up you know i don't think very religious people they weren't very um you know they're just kind of americans and they got into an absolutely horrible situation like one of those situations where there's no way out there's no way out and then the husband and wife got on their knees and they said god if you exist and if you come and you save us from this scenario and you get us out of this if you move this mountain that is unmovable we will dedicate the rest of our lives to following you following the truth that you reveal to us and we will dedicate the rest of our lives to serving you. And lo and behold, not even weeks go by, and that huge mountain moved in a miraculous way. And then it set their life on a totally different trajectory. Of course, it guided them to the Ten Commandments, and they said, well, let's what what is Shabbat? And then it guided them to the Torah, and it guided them to Israel, and they have so many children and they're homeschooling their children, keeping them into the Torah and connecting them to the Jewish people and their whole lives on a totally different trajectory. And we consider them some of our dearest friends now. And that is a breach. when it says that God is going to circumcise our heart circumcise. Isn't the right word. It's a covenant on the heart. An event is going to happen. Maybe it's similar to what happened to that woman there as she's calling out to God, begging for her husband to come home safe, and the phone rings. That's a life-changing moment. Or maybe it's going to be something that happens to Israel, where the nation together has to call out to God, because there's no way out. And we commit to change the way we've been living. And we knock ourselves into place. Because once we knock ourselves into place, the world will follow. The world is waiting for Israel to rise up, to get into our place. And I think that that time is coming. Because the shift is already happening now. I should have sent the picture to Tabitha, but I didn't have the mind to do it. But on these kibbutzim, the kibbutz Be'eri, which is one of the kibbutzim that was struck hardest by the Hamas, Members of that kibbutz, they are what we call in Israel, the hard left, like the radical woke. Oh, maybe I'll be able to show it to you right here. Thank you, Ari. But if you can see this picture, can you guys see that? Let's see if I can get it right up there. Take that away. That picture says, Zahor et asher asalecha Amalek." Remember what Amalek did to you on the road. And that kibbutz would never put a verse of the Bible at the entrance to their kibbutz. That kibbutz would never say such negative words to the Arabs that they are so committed to making peace with. They were the hard left peace camp in Aza. And all of a sudden, at the entrance to their kibbutz, they're evoking biblical references calling those Arabs that they so wanted to make peace with Amalek, which is what they are. What else do they need to do to tell us that they are evil? But you know, there was one woman, an elderly woman, that was a hostage that was released. And she told a story that the head of the Hamas visited the hostages where she was being held. And she looked at the head of the Hamas and she said aren't you embarrassed that you did this to the people that wanted to make peace with you and they asked her what did he say and she said he just looked at me and he didn't say anything and i i you know i, I once i guess someone reaches a certain age because i think she was in her 80s it's hard for her to really change the way that she operates What I wanted to ask her, you asked him if he was ashamed about what he did with the people that wanted to make peace with him. I wanted to ask you, aren't you ashamed that you wanted to make peace with that evil, that that jihadist Nazi that did what he did to us? Why would you want to make peace with that? Aren't you ashamed? But that's an older generation. That's the generation of Egypt that, you know, they weren't able to go into the promised land. They weren't able to break out of their slave mentality. But the next generation that's rising up, it was the next generation in that kibbutz that hung up that sign, evoking that biblical verse, reminding themselves who they are and what our mission is. And Israel's mission is to banish the darkness and the question now, you know, I can't help but see the parallels between Shaul Hamelech and Benjamin Netanyahu. Next fellowship, I'm going to go quite deep into that. We're going to learn all about King Saul, and you're going to see the parallels. It's uncanny, it's unbelievable. It is so stark that there's hope because after King Saul comes King David, and we are just in this transitional period. But what marks the greatest mark of King Saul is that he could not finish the job. And what got into his way, ironically, was a good heart, that he felt merciful for King Agag. And right now, you can see there's a mitzvah to wipe out the evil, because inside us, we don't want to do that. In the miracle of Hanukkah, we have a prayer that we say for all of the eight days. And one of them is: it was a miracle that God the many into the hands of the few. Rabin biad me'atim, that's a miracle. The Chazakim biad Chalashim, the mighty Greek Empire into the hands of the weak Judean rebels, that's a miracle. And then one of the lines is: Rishaim bi'detzadikim, the evil into the hands of the righteous. And then people could ask, like, why is that a miracle? What does that have to do with anything? Meaning, okay, they're evil, they're righteous. That's not a miracle that the Maccabees won. It's a miracle that the strong were in the hands of the weak and that the many were in the hands of the few. But why does the righteous beating the evil, why is that a miracle? And the answer is, is because the evil is ready to do whatever evil does. And the righteous, they don't want to go to war. The righteous want to live in peace the righteous want to be good. The righteous want to spread love. The righteous want to spread light. But that's why Israel is commanded to eviscerate the evil, because we don't want to do that. It's not in our nature. We want to just be righteous and pray to God and play our guitar and sing songs of peace and love. But right now we're being called to be Maccabees. And now this week, we're about to light the first candles of Hanukkah, and to recognize that nothing has changed. The evil has maybe shifted from the Nazis in Germany to the Hamas in Gaza, but evil is evil, and it attacks the Jew first. And now the world is shaking. And so with that, I want to turn it over to Tehillah. She's here with us live Thank you for coming Tila. I know that this was not simple for you to make it here. But, you know, when we talk about going to the root of it all, not just talking about the politics, not just talking about the practical realities of what needs to be done. As everyone is talking just on this level, we have to sort of go this level. And I feel like you are the one that brings the Torah to life, really connecting us to the source. So I wanted to pass it off to you to bring us that light, so thank you, Hamouda, passing it off to you.
0: Thank you. Hi, everybody. I've missed seeing all of you guys. I think I nearly gave Tabitha a heart attack as I just, I parked about 30 seconds ago. So I hope I don't repeat anything that's already been said. And I apologize because I missed it. I just managed to get into the office uh, right now. Um, so hi, guys. As you can imagine, you know, these days have been very Complicated and filled with emotional ups and downs, and you know, joy from seeing hostages coming home and heartbreak from terror victims. Sometimes we're just on this it feels like it's a roller coaster that we can't seem to get off of. And so, I, I want to share an idea that you know Jeremy and I have been thinking about. He started to discuss in a short uh, video, and I want to go a little bit deeper in. And as I was driving here, I was thinking to myself, I wonder if people are going to ask me what is the point of all of this say. Before I say what I want to say, I'm going to try to say what I think might be the point of what I want to say, which is that I don't know if it has a point. (laughs) He's looking at me funny. I don't know if it has a point, but you know I was reading just a few, a couple of hours ago, a a beautiful idea that Rob Cook shared right after the 1929 um, massacre by the Arabs. He says, don't let your heart fall when terrible things happen because it, for every darkness that comes upon us, it brings us closer to our redemption. We don't know why it works that way, but that just seems to be the mechanics of the Jewish people and how the redemption works. And so, don't let your heart fall. And it, it's it, it really touched my heart because right before Shabbat, I ran into this woman that I kind of know, but like we're not very close. But I rolled down my window uh, to wave at her, and this is the kind of thing that's happening in Israel. I'm not sure anybody. Uh, in Israel can relate to this experience right now. I rolled down my window just to wave at her and she literally fell into my window, weeping over the terror attack that had been on Sunday and she told me that, you know, she, she feels like she's, and this is like a woman, she had a you know, head covering. She's always in synagogue praying. She's so religious. She's having like a crisis of her faith in Hashem. And you know, it's like sometimes so hard to hold on to our faith in the face of all of this pain. And I think that what Rokec R- is saying is that the pain is unbearable unless we understand that it's part of a larger plan and part of a larger context. And then, no matter how great it is, it becomes bearable because it has a reason and it has a purpose. So I think if I had to put into a nutshell what I what I what I want to talk about, I think it's about trying to see how what we're going through and the things that are happening fit into a larger puzzle because maybe from that we can draw some strength. So, you know, in the beginning of the war, one of the first ideas that I felt guided to explore and try to understand was the meaning of Hamas in the Torah because obviously, you know, Hamas, modern Hamas didn't do market research and try to find the most obnoxious biblical word of evil that they could use in order to terrify us. That was just sort of the word in Arabic that they chose. But, you know, surely it can't be a coincidence, right? It was just too strange that the word Hamas in Hebrew would be like, mean, would have a meaning of, you know, the culmination of all evil that we see in the first, uh, you know, in, 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 right in the beginning of the Torah in the portion of Noah that leads to the flood. And, you know, that, uh, the idea that I had at that point was just sort of intuitive that the evil doers reveal to us themselves, even without meaning to. And so if they chose the name Hamas as their name, that must be a sign of their inner essence. You know, my my sister told me over Shabbat that Maya Angelou would say that when someone kills you who they are, believe them the first time. And, you know, that's like a really deep life lesson in general, because so often we see people around us, like the way we want to see them or what we want to believe that they are. But when someone reveals their essence to you, you should actually listen. And what I didn't realize at the time when I started to look into the meaning of Hamas was that they don't only reveal who they are to us through their name, but they also tell us what they're doing. And at that time, in the beginning of the war, I didn't even realize. I was so... Involved in the Jewish experience and the Israeli experience, I didn't even pay attention to the fact that they named this for their own name, and they called it the Al-Aqsa Flood, the Flood of the Temple Mountain. That's really interesting for a few reasons. First of all, because the first time we saw in the Torah was in the context of the flood. That can hardly be a coincidence, right? Like, what was the flood? The flood, when you really think about what the flood was, it was sending the world back into chaos. Like the world started chaotic, tohu bevo, this chaotic watery mess, and them turned that into creation. And then what are the first chapters of the Torah? It's creation, little by little becoming more organized. The Torah tells us like these little progresses where people started to do agriculture and shepherding and music and making cities, and then the flood came and essentially rewound creation back to chaos. So when someone tells you that they what they want to do is make a flood Believe them. They are revealing to us the deepest point of their mission and their existence as taking the world, the world that we see that's so beautiful around us, that's made so much progress with medicine and technology and prosperity and economy. They want to flood that. They want to rewind it back into chaos. Now, why does it matter? Maybe it doesn't matter, but for me, when I'm able to feel Hashem's hand in even these little ways, we're now coming on the Torah portion of Spice cards, which It's like a code for us here in this group for feeling Hashem's presence, for feeling that like guiding hand of Hashem even in these dark places. So for me, that makes it feel like we're in this year process, and that gives me strength and you know encouragement. And you know, when I started to kind of follow that idea, there's only one other time in the entire Bible that it says the word flood and that's in psalm 29 and jeremy mentioned this last week in a video we put out it says the hashem sat enthroned at the flood the lord sat as king forever in the english translation this is in psalm 29 it says uh, it, it usually appears in the english as past tense the hebrew actually seems to be in future tense meaning in relation to a flood hashem will be the king forever meaning hashem's you know, salvation of the world his eventual, you know, the eventuality of Hashem being recognized as the king in the world seems to be hinted by the Psalm as coming through some kind of flood. And I was thinking about how strange and interesting that was. And then here's where it got really interesting. Jeremy, you don't even know this because I didn't even share this with you yet. This is where it gets really interesting because I found a passage in Rav Sadia Gaon, who is an uh, you know, an ancient sage who lived in the ninth century. He says something so strange. He says there's a mystical tradition that in the eventual redemption, the redemption will come through a flood that is not a flood. Through a flood that is not a flood, because he says there's going to be a flood, but it can't be an actual flood because Hashem promised that the flood with the rainbow not to bring an actual flood to destroy the world else is going to make a flood. And then there's all these interpretations the mystical writings. Maybe it's a flood of confusion, a flood of disbelief in Hashem. But how interesting that the Hamas reveal what they are, what they are doing. They themselves name what they are doing right now a flood. You can't make this stuff up. They're telling us, we are Hamas. We want to bring evil and we want to bring a flood. It's exactly what the mystical tradition says it's going to be. And it's exactly what the psalm hints when it says that Hashem will be king of the world through this flood. So we understand if you kind of start putting the pieces together that there's this Hamas, there's this evil and a flood. Why would they call it the Al-Aqsa flood? You know, that's weird because, you know, the Al-Aqsa is the Temple Mount. Seemingly, this war had nothing to do with the Temple Mount. Like there was no attack on October 7th, anywhere near the Temple Mount. And the retaliation in Gaza was nowhere near the Temple Mount either. Like you wouldn't call the war in Ukraine, the Australian war, what, what connection would there be? And why a flood? Like, wouldn't it be more manly and cool to say, like, the firebombs of al the explosions of al right? A flood? It wasn't even raining. It was a beautiful sunny day. October 7th. Why a flood? And why on the Temple Mount? They're telling us who they are. We just need to listen. What is the Temple Mount? The Temple Mount symbolizes the final correction of the world when we are able to bring the world to the redemption to the pinnacle of spiritual achievement. They are saying, we are Hamas. We are here to undo, chaotify, set back, and create chaos in the place where you would like to create life, connection to Hashem, and holiness. Now, in thinking about that, that, of course, brought me to the book of Zechariah, Zechariah, because there are two really interesting, a few really interesting things, a lot of really interesting things that Zechariah tells us are going to happen at the end of these but I just want to talk for a second about chapter 9 in verses 10 and 11. When verses, verses 10 and 11 talk about the Mashiach coming one day, it says, I will cut off the chariots from Ephraim and the horses from Jerusalem and the bow of war shall be cut off. And one day there will be peace in the world. And Mashiach will, you know, he will speak peace to the nations. now listen to the, to the metaphor that's used. His rule shall be miyam from the sea and then it says in the english to the river right but it actually says from the sea to the sea and from the river to the end of the earth somehow at least the chabad english translation that i use doesn't uh doesn't say from sea to sea it actually says from sea to the sea what does it mean when hashem describes the peace that comes with mashiach as being from sea to sea, like water to water. What does that sound like to you when water meets other water? Is that not just another word for a flood? Meaning the way that the prophets envision, and we see this in other places also, is the knowledge of God covering the world like the water covers the ocean. There's this metaphor of the knowledge of Hashem and peace Covering the world like a flood in the end of days. day. So as our enemies try to bring flood of Hamas, of evil, we're promises in the very same place. From Jerusalem, there's going to be a flood of peace. And now look how it combines with verse 11. Verse 11 there says, you too with the blood of your covenant, I have freed your prisoners from a pit in which there is no water. Now that's interesting. I have freed your prisoners from a pit that has no water. So in the place where they're trying to build a big a flood, there's going to be a pit with no water where your prisoners are going to be free from. Now that's really where, what is a pit with no water? Meaning in Hebrew, normally a bore is a place put, where you dig, it. So it takes a lot of energy to dig a pit. That's where you would keep water. So the prophet has to be really clear. No, 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 I'm not talking about like the regular pit that you guys usually use for collecting water. There's going to be a new kind of pit that there's going to be no water under the ground. And you're going to have Captive people freed from there. It's hard to imagine before our times for there ever to have been the technological possibility of even holding people long-term in any kind of underground pit until now. Is there any better way to describe a tunnel than what we're seeing in this verse in Zechariah? And then suddenly it struck me, look at the Torah portion we're in. There's one other place in the Torah where it says that there was a pit with no water and that's in our very portion. Where Joseph was put in the pit and the Torah goes out of its way to say this was a pit with no water. So, you know, I, I think that it's like all of these connections are coming together that just as you know Joseph was lifted out of the pit and taken to be taken down to Egypt in a spike cart no less, you know, our our prisoners are in these pits underwater. And and while you know, on the one hand it's so it's so disheartening. At the end of Joseph's life, he says, about all of that experience, like I knew that it was, you know, I know that it was all part of Hashem's plan. And for me to see that there is a prophecy that connects in this very week's portion of our prisoners being taken out of these pits of the earth, pits with no water, in order to be part of Hashem's plan, but not allow there to be a flood of evil, but rather for there to be a flood of redemption and knowledge for Hashem, for me, that gives me encouragement. and a lot of people write to me like, you know, what can we pray for besides for the obvious, you know, besides for, you know, the success of the IDF and, and saving and saving the captives. you know, I think that if, you know, we need to pray that, that just like, just like Hashem took Joseph out of his pit, that our, you know, that our captives be taken out of their pit and, and even, you know, and, and alongside that, that we be able to maintain our faith that all, of you know, everything that we're going through is part of Hashem's great plan to cover the world with the knowledge of Hashem, like the covers like the water covers the sea. So with that, I wish you guys a great week and that uh, may we all pray together and see the redemption.
1: Amen. Thank you, Tehila. Uh I don't know how this happens that I keep going right after Tahila, but I keep promising myself I'm not going to do that, particularly today. I mean, that is just such a, how do you do that? Like I research and I find the things and then I bring them and you're like, you're actually finding Rav Sajjah Gaon and you're finding the sources and creating these, you guys are hearing this for the first time here. This isn't like a regurgitation of some other scholar's investigation. That's actually just Tahila, like, uh, transcending time and space. Anyways, Tahila, that's phenomenal. That's fantastic. Um, so, OK, so that that's the smart part of the fellowship. This is going to be the painful sort of me sharing my heart and just getting all just spilling it all out there part of the fellowship, Um, because to me, the last week has really been like a war. I mean, fittingly. Right. We're in a war. Um, I, I've lived through a number of wars in my life. Jeremy and I have fought in wars. We've been involved in wars, but never have I felt like the entire planet was as immersed in war and conflict with greater levels of hate and vehemence than right now. Like, this war for me has become all-encompassing. And while it starts, of course, with Hamas on the outermost dimension, and it even goes further out from there, it's like Hamas. And of course, this week I put out a video of why we play the game about Hamas and Hezbollah and all the different factions when really it's from Iran. and, And that's where the jihad is like emanating from. But uh, but also it goes further in, you know, to my own heart. That is a serious dimension of this war for me. What's happening in my heart with fear and doubt and negativity. And that war is fought in every day and every single moment. Um, because like, what is the focus? Like, what is my focus on at every given moment? What should we talk about on this fellowship? It would be so easy to spend the entire fellowship each week weeping, right? Just weeping as if it were the first Tisha B'Av since the destruction of the temple, like we could just weep, I don't know there have been times we've had the fellowship and like soldiers died, like precious soldiers I don't even talk about it, I can't, I just skip the whole thing, because what do I even do, how do I even broach that? let's just take just today okay, just today for example, today just today we lost two beautiful souls, just look at their faces, the kindness the sweetness, you know the grace, you can see it on their on the left we see Ashalwu Sama. He's twenty years old from Petartikva. And on the right, we see Or Brandis. We I actually don't know the details of him. It's so fresh. Um, and they both died. Uh, they were they they today, they left the world, and they're being buried underground just today. just 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 today. Um, a, a few days ago, you know, that terrorist attack that happened at the bus stop. I mean, it's still coming in. It's still coming in, Tabitha. Could you just show that? You know, it doesn't matter, Tabitha. Skip that. You know, the 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 we saw that there were three people murdered. That was the original one. I don't know if you guys are on our WhatsApp list, but if you are, I sent out a message just talking about the three of them who died um, and the the tragedy of it all, and that we were supposed to play this game about the different factions each having their own aspirations when in reality this is a spiritual war and it's a religious war and it's all coming from the same place they're not screaming free palestine right they're screaming allahu akbar this is a religious war and the world needs to make it a secular war and insist on this narrative that it's a secular political war about different factions that are seeking their independence why because if it's that's the game that we're playing well then they're the David, and we're the, the big Goliath of the state of Israel. But the truth is that this is the nation of Israel, the small 6 million Jew nation surrounded by 22 Arab states and 55 Muslim states in the jihad, and we are the David, and they're the Goliath. And, and so they're jihadists, and they're, they're, they're declaring war, and we see names and faces all the time of these, uh, these precious Jews, the sweetest, the holiest, and we try to connect with them. You know, but if we really had the courage to dig in deep to each one of their stories, which I'll admit, I don't have the courage to do it. The tears just wouldn't stop flowing. You remember the girl that was uh, murdered at the bus stop this past week? Her name was Livia Diekmann. She was 24 years old and she was pregnant. And, you know, maybe people I don't know. Has anyone here heard that she was pregnant? Is that part of the story that you've heard? Okay, so a lot of you have heard that already, but did you hear that she was the only child to her parents? That she was about to make her parents into grandparents, and now they're left all alone and bereft in the world without their daughter, without their progeny, without their dream? The devastation is beyond what we can, that alone, if we really let that into our hearts, is enough to break us. Just that, and then there's the fallen hero Moshe Kasselman, I don't even know what to do with this. He jumped out of his car with lightning speed and tremendous courage, shot and killed both terrorists, putting his life in tremendous risk to save the lives of others. Just a hero, a hero in every definition of the term. And then, uh, as he did, he recognized that the other armed Jewish citizens who were also engaging the terrorists may think that he's a terrorist. So he threw down his weapon and put his hand in the air, shouting, he's a Jew, but apparently it was too late. I don't know all the details of the story, but he was shot by someone who thought that he was a terrorist so he was killed as well by another jew and so the so he's lost the person who accidentally shot him while i can tell you that in many ways his life is over as well if i had to decide which of them i would want to be i would prefer to be moshe kasselman than the than the poor jew who shot him you know there's going to be an entire investigation and uh, whether he's found guilty or not, he's never going to be able to, to move on in a normative way in his life, knowing what what he did, accident or not. You know, the a Jew, uh, his life is over. He's spent his life riddled with guilt and grief and sadness. And so. Just tragedy, you know, everywhere you look, it's just tragedy. I was just talking to Rav Shlomo Katz and I was saying, you know, people are asking me sometimes, how am I feeling? And I want to say. It's just a different spectrum. I don't know, is it good or bad? But even deeper than not knowing how to answer, I actually don't know how I'm supposed to feel. I know that sometimes I'm supposed to come to this fellowship and be a spiritual guide and tell you how. I don't know. Sometime lately, I've felt like I don't know how I'm supposed to feel. There's times that it's in my personality when I see people down, I want to make them laugh. I want to say a joke. I want to bring them happiness. And so I do that. And then there's laughter. And I'm like, are we laughing when there are still Jewish children being tortured by Hamas, how can I smile? How can I laugh? And then I think of Shaina. She went to this uh, to this uh, prayer session where the mother of one of the kidnapped girls stood up and she said, "We need to be happy. That is our war against them. To be happy, so we're supposed to be happy. We're not supposed to be happy. I can't come to peace with it. I don't even know how to feel. You know, it's just every every name, every picture, every face is a world, in and of themselves. And then there's the the Bibas family, have you heard of this? The entire family was taken hostage into Gaza. And now Hamas is saying that the wife Shiri and the young children, Ariel, who was four, and Kafir is only 10 months old, were killed. They claim in an Israeli bombing attack. And it doesn't, of course, if, it, if, they, if that is true, it doesn't make Israel bad. They were doing everything they need to do to defeat Hamas, and that's where Hamas is putting the hostages. But, of course, you can't believe Hamas about anything. But it's widely believed that they are dead and you know when it comes to these videos i usually don't allow myself to watch the videos i don't know why but i felt compelled to watch this video of little 10 month old fear (laughs) That and I see Shiloh. I see my little boy Shiloh. That's every morning, every night at my house. Every time I get an opportunity to be with my children, I spend at least ten to twenty percent of my waking hours with my nose nuzzled into my children's bellies, just trying to make them laugh, kissing their necks. Make that's my greatest joy in the world, and that beauty and that joy for this innocent, sweet family just horrific, you know. And and after fifty days of torment and torture. Then they tell this man in in his captivity that his family is dead, and they use his grief, his devastation, and they force a video where he's blaming Netanyahu and begging for him and his family to be returned to Israel to be buried there. <laughs> <laughs> just the brokenness, like how every, every, I am him. I am him just by the grace of God. I, I am here with my children. Please God right now they're safe in, in our home. This is the only time that I'm not with them. I make sure that Shayna has the, the walkie talkie and the, her weapon on her, et cetera. But uh, I stay with them as much as I possibly can. We're on the mountaintop in Judea. But I just look at that and it's just so, so, so. I'm not trying to depress you. This is going somewhere. Hopefully, it's going somewhere. But, you know, the psychological attack that they're launching is more sophisticated than you'd think, you know, from their GoPro cameras, where they recorded not only their unimaginable atrocities, but also the videos of the families being reunited And people love watching these videos, but a part of me doesn't watch them either. I know that Hamas wants me to watch them. It's part of their psychological warfare to get us confused and disoriented and pacified and the the, the emotional roller coaster they they know what they're doing, you know, And, and these are just a few almost like randomly selected of the heartbreaking devastation that the Jewish people are contending with. It's like it's an absolutely crippling overflow of unimaginable grief and devastation and then the pain is compounded in into fear and and for the for so many people are, are terrified by what they saw the response of the world any because what, what do jews do what everybody does we project who we are on the world and we imagine if we were to see such a thing then we'd be wearing ribbons and, and empathizing with them and going to the streets but no yeah the fear is like compounded and into isolation When we see that so much of the world, I don't know if it's the majority or not, but from our perspective, it sure feels like it either celebrates our pain or calls for more of it, or most commonly morally equivocates with the whole both sides game that I'm sure you see constantly all the time by people that are otherwise good people that just all of a sudden are struck by a moral blindness that just play this both sides thing or suffering. You know, I just saw the Pope say, this isn't a war, this is terrorism, and he's talking about Israel's war against Hamas is terrorism. The Pope, very nice, uh, Esau, Esau manifesting. But anyways, you know, it's it's like unbelievable. It's not, by unbelievable, I mean not believable, uh, equating the hostage trade in which Israel released 150 terrorists with blood on their hands for 50 hostages, innocent men, women, and children. You know, j- just one example, there was a female terrorist in the Gilo neighborhood in Jerusalem who was, uh, who, who uh, was stabbed tens of times, nearly to death, in front of her little daughters by this jihadist woman that she was otherwise friends with. And then this woman turned jihad on her and stabbed her in front of her children, nearly killed her, traumatizing her children beyond belief, as you can imagine. And now this woman has been released back into her neighborhood in Gilo for this woman to run into her in the the corner supermarket. And this woman is being equated with an eight-year-old hostage who was taken, beaten, burned on a motorcycle tailpipe to brand them in case they were to escape so that the innocent civilians in Gaza that see them can bring them back to Hamas, which they did. Right? You've heard about what's happening. There was one of the hostage children was kept in the attic of a doctor in Gaza. Another one was uh, the United Nations, the UNRWA teacher. A teacher kept this child hostage in their home, like it's just all of the, the 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 lies and the illusions just being being dispelled about how absolutely thoroughly deeply evil through and through this entire nation of people is. And then Israel is accused by in the media around the world of being Jewish supremacists for valuing Jewish life more because they released three terrorists for every one Jew, as if they wouldn't have preferred one-to-one odds. Of course, Israel would prefer the odds is great in our favor, but no, that's Hamas said, no, give us three terrorists for one hostage. And so Israel says, okay, if that's the best we can get, we want them back so much. And then the world's like, oh, you think you're more valuable? It's so crazy. It's gaslighting of the highest order that it's not even, what do you even do with that? If it weren't so insane, it would be laughable. And so the reason I'm sharing this is because the the only thing that can possibly get us through this is faith. Faith that this is for something, that something very important is coming out of this. Faith that all of this pain is is necessary in ways that we can't understand. And that the, the, the love and the joy and the peace and the redemption awaiting us on the other side of this can only be birthed through this process. Never have I been as focused as thinking on the, it's one of the foundational core beliefs of what it is to be a Jew, uh, the resurrection of the dead. But it always was like such a mystical, transcendent idea that I just said, I believe in it, but I don't know why. I know that the prophets speak of it, but I don't know what that really means. But I'm holding on to that for dear life. I'm holding on to the revival of the dead for dear life because who are being taken from us are just the sweetest and the holiest and the most innocent. And you don't go anywhere without seeing the uncles, the aunts, the parents, the siblings, friends, the funerals. It's just so beyond. And so there's just so much darkness, but I just I've seen in my own life. Because I've had a lot of dark things happen to me in my life, a lot of serious, serious challenges, at least at the time it felt that way. Looking back at what's happening to the nation, it feels less that way. But at the time for me, it just didn't seem like it could get any darker. And I've seen that it's during those moments of the greatest chaos and disorienting grief. It's during those moments of the greatest brokenness. That Hashem shines this light into our souls. And we're just we don't see it, we don't feel it, we don't know because the pain is so debilitating and all consuming to our awareness and our consciousness that we don't feel it happening. But once the dust settles, we see what is this sort of thing that I'm a different person now? What happened during all of that darkness? And um yeah, so so I'm that's that's what I'm feeling, that's what I'm hoping for, and that's what I'm that's what I'm praying. And, you know, it's and I'm I'm trying to stay clear and focused on the degree of evil that we're facing, because there's people that are on even like our side of things, religious, spiritual, right wing that are coming out with all sorts of ideas that I think are so foreign and even repulsive to me that I don't know what to even do with it. You know, like among those that were released was the 13 year old. His name was Eitan Yahalomi. His father is still captive. And it became clear that. He was ruthlessly beaten by the Gazan civilians, of course. But the terrorists forced him to watch these videos of the most <coughs> sadistic and indescribably evil parts of the massacre. And if he dared to cry or to look away, they would put a Kalachnikov rifle to his head. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is because there's, all of these stories are coming out. And nonetheless, I'm hearing these calls that I just told you. We need to understand the narrative. Have you heard this before? We need to understand the narrative of these monsters. You know, calls from like, like I said, well-intentioned people. There's a friend of mine, a brave soldier, his name is Rudy Roshman, who who claims that these sick Hamas Nazi monsters aren't the ancient, unredeemably evil enemy of Amalek. He made a video setting saying Hamas is not Amalek. This is just like one of the 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 hatred that, that we're video. experiencing from Hamas. It's like, what are you doing? You think you're going to create a better reality for your people by killing Jews? They're not seeing, they're blinded by by trauma. They're blinded by pain. And they think the source of all their pain is the Jewish people. So all they're doing is reacting and fighting and terrorizing and try to unleash the most amount of pain that they can do to the other side that they think is creating their Here's pain. There's whole video there that his, his message is that who is Amalek, this is the gist of his message. Who is Amalek? Amalek is that nation that hates the nation of Israel for who we are. Like the Nazis said, we're the conscience of the world, we're bringing light to the world, and they want to kill us for who we are. But but, Amal, but but Hamas hates us for who we're not, meaning they think that we're Western colonialists that are coming and stealing their land, and they hate us for that reason. And that's not who we are. But to me, like I honestly don't care what the source of their pain is. I don't. If the expression of that pain... If the expression of that pain is the most indescribably horrific, baby-slaughtering, torturous evil that it is, th- that they celebrate and revel in, they have forfeited the privilege to have any morally clear person seek to understand their grievances. No grievance can ever justify the evil that we saw on October 7th. So I just can't hear it. I can't hear, I don't care, really, on like a real level, I don't care whether they're Ishmael or or Amalek, or just a bunch of pagan Philistines in a death cult, which is what I actually think they are. I have zero desire to understand their narrative, or for them to understand mine, to heal their pain, or to reconcile with them in any way, to, uh, to uh, broadcast a narrative to the world about my desire for reconciliation with them, a people that's so evil that their self-expression culminates in the celebration of shooting a father in the head, putting a baby in the oven, and raping the mothers to the shrieks and the cries of the baby, that will, uh, among so many other things, the only morally clear desire to have regarding that nation is to wipe them off the face of the earth, to eviscerate them every last one of them. And unfortunately, we've just been so strongly influenced by these Western values that we've come to believe that there's truth and validity to everyone and everything, and we just need to understand where they're coming from. And it's just simply not true. The job of the nation of Israel is to be a light of goodness to the world. And I really believe that right now, our light can only be fully expressed by eradicating the evil and the darkness that we saw rear its ugly head on October 7th. And if we fail, to do that, if we get lost in understanding their narrative and shaking their hands and letting them survive in any way, I'm sorry if I sound militant and radical, I'm just saying what is, in my heart. If we allow them to survive in any way, October 7th is only going to be the beginning. And because there is a, a transformation, like I said, that's happening. Hashem is letting this light in and We are transforming in this week's Torah portion, right? Jacob is given the name Yisrael, the name Israel. What is that name about? I really wanted to go deep, do a deep dive into this with all of the sources and all the ideas. But I'll just share with you my just the basic idea here. When did when he goes from Jacob to Israel? Remember, he went to to his father, Isaac, and he got the blessing of Esau. We spoke about that. Why did he need to get the blessing of Esau? Well Isaac wanted to bless Esau that he should be the warrior and Jacob would be the scholar and then Esau would be able to fight the wars for Jacob so Jacob to learn and they could be brothers cooperating and operating together but what Isaac the sage say didn't realize that Esau his that fight within him he loved the fight itself he loved the murder he loved the bloodshed he celebrated in it and that could not be part of the nation of Israel it had to be Jacob to be able to have that the the hand of Jacob, but the the hand of Esau, but always the voice of Jacob, the heart of Jacob, right? And so what we see happening right now is the nation of Israel, the army, the soldiers going out and fighting with a fierceness, but this fierceness is rooted in godliness. Look at this, wearing their tefillin, and the, the the sages of Israel say that when the uh, when uh, the nations look at a Jew wearing their tefillin, there there's a, a fear. And a terror that goes into their hearts because it's not they it's almost like we become actual malachim, like angels that are fighting God's wars. And there's soldiers that used to never put on tefillin, and they just say, You wouldn't even believe. Can I just tell you what just happened? This last Shabbat? Are you ready for this? This last Shabbat, you know, we always have a kiddush at the Gimpel's house, a kiddish, you know, where we may we make the kiddush and then there's cholent, which is like a stew with beans and potatoes and meat and all of the stuff. And there's herring and there's crackers and there's wine for Kiddush. And we invite everybody and all the soldiers. But there were four new soldiers uh, right in front of our house of prayer. So I went up to them and one of them, you know, they looked like three of them looked sort of like whitish Ashkenazi and one of them like, sort of like a unibrow, dark, like, so I said, as a joke, because we, as the nation of Israel, we love each other so much that we can joke about race and how we look. So I said, what's your name to this soldier? What's your name to this soldier? And I was like, and Hezbollah, what's his name? Because he looks like a Hezbollah terrorist. And uh, and the, the, the guy said that about burst out laughing. And we all laughed. And I said, what's your name? He said, Shabsi. I said, good to meet you, Shabsi. And we all hugged each other. I said, you guys got to come to the Kiddush. You have to come to. to and they said, Okay. And so we came and we put cookies and food and drink. And so we said to each of them, what's your story? And then we said, Shabsi, what's your story? I imagined he was from Yemen, Algeria, Morocco, one of the Sephardic countries. And he said that um, he's nearly done with his process of conversion. He said, what? He said he's from Azerbaijan and he's converting from Islam. When I said he looks like Hezbollah, it's because he was Hezbollah, right? He was like his father. Was uh, a Jew, and his mother was a Muslim, and he told the entire story about he, how he just he felt the need to put on tefillin on phylacteries. He put it on, and then he was just like crippled. He lost all of his strength, and then his strength came back, and it was like a new person within him. It's like such a story. I got to get his number. I got to find him. We got to get him onto the program and, and to, but um, but to see that happen. You know, to see that happen within him. And, and now he's turning back and all of these soldiers, all of these people. There's just this, uh, a girl on my balcony. I was interviewed by some German interviewer and his photographer girl was a, a leftist, a a, pri- a secular girl from Tel Aviv. I don't like putting labels because what do I know about anything? But I asked her, you know, are, I love every Jew. I don't care if you're all the way to the left, all the way to the right. I'm just curious. Were, are you on the left? Were you on the left? What have, and she said, yeah, I used to be really left wing. And I said, are you now? She goes, I don't think that there's anybody left that's left wing. And she said, the people are becoming more right wing, more religious. Their hearts are returning to God. There's something that's happening that is coming from all of this. And that's what's keeping me going. That's what's keeping me alive. It's that faith that this isn't random and this isn't haphazard. That the greatness of the darkness that we faced on October 7th and even since is only going to be matched by equal equal and exact opposite light that's even more light than that darkness was dark. But that's going to take God's doing. We just have to do everything that we can to step up and say, God, use me as a vehicle. Use me as a light. I I just want to end, you know, in the Haftorah of this week. There's a friend of mine, his name is Matthew, and I I sent him just, you know, I I said to him, did you read the Haftorah of the week? And he said, yes, I did. uh, But what do you get from it? You know, I think he was saying, like, I didn't really get anything from that. Because to me, I was reading this and I just couldn't believe what I was reading. I didn't have time to prepare this all for you, but I just summarized it for him in 45 seconds. He's like, oh, my God, that is so incredible. I I need to send that to my friend Tucker Carlson. Said, send it to Tucker Carlson. Okay, go ahead. Send it to Tucker Carlson. And he sent it to Tucker Carlson, and then he said, Tucker responded and said, yes, I hear that, but what does God... Meaning like Tucker listened to the message that I sent. But this was a vision of Ovadia. And why was this chosen from the book of Ovadia, chapter 1, verses 1 through 21? Because Ovadia was talking about Esau and what would happen with Esau in the end of days. And of course, we know Esau is America, and it is Europe, and it is the Roman Catholic Church. And it's the Pope who stood up this week and said that Israel's war is a war of terrorism. It's not even a war, that it's terrorism. And so he says, Esau is haughty. Is haughty. Your your heart has seduced you. You who dwells in the cleft of the rock, whose habitation is on high, who says in his heart, who can bring me down to earth? Though you ascend as high as an eagle and place your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, the words of Hashem. That arguably happened with the World Trade Center, but maybe the the point wasn't received and it needs to happen even further. It talks about um, how uh, the leaders of Esau will lose their discernment. They will become confused and disoriented. Uh, You know, it's hard to picture a more confused and disoriented president of America that has lost his discernment than Biden who can barely construct a a sentence. says, is there any... Is there any doubt that on that day the words of Hashem I will cause the wise men of Adam to be lost and discernment to be lost from the mountain of Esau. Your mighty ones to the south will be smashed and Esau's mountain will be cut down for your violence to your brother Jacob. Shame will cover you and you will be cut down forever. Because of the day you stood aloof, the day strangers plundered his wealth, foreigners entered his gates, And they cast lots on Jerusalem. You were like one of them. You were like one of them. Meaning by sitting by, by interviewing Hamas, by interviewing Israeli leaders and saying how the disproportionality and the moral equivocation and you're just as bad as them and you had this coming and maybe this is really you're doing. You are just as one of them, the prophet is saying, and you will pay for their crimes. You shouldn't have just dis- you should not have rejoiced over the children of Judah on the day of their destruction you should not have spoken arrogantly on the day of distress you should not have entered the gate of my people on the day of their disaster even you should not have gazed upon its misf- misfortune on the day of disaster just like right uh, the the lot and his wife don't turn around you pretty much deserve what they're getting don't turn around you should not gaze upon that and the Esau and the Pope and much of America and the West and Europe are gazing upon us and enjoying what they're seeing and they're going to be punished for standing by and allowing this to happen and blessing its destruction and celebrating its destruction it says but on Mount Zion there will be a remnant and it shall become holy and the house of Jacob will inherit its inheritors and by the way, when I talk about those that stand with Israel, I think of all of you. When I think of you, I actually think the first thing I think is the word remnant. Because I used to think, mm, it's more than a remnant. There are mass amounts of evangelicals and conservatives and Republicans that are pro-Israel. It's not just a remnant. But now I see that a lot of them are falling off to the sides. A lot of the conservatives are becoming isolationists. This is not our problem. This is Israel's problem. Leave Ukraine, leave Israel as if it's all the same thing. And ultimately, there is a small remnant that love us and stand with us and are joining with us through this. This is the period of time that we're in right now. And that's what you're doing. The house of Jacob will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau like straw. They will kindle among them and consume them, and there will be no survivor among the house of Esau, for Hashem has spoken. They shall inherit the south, the mountain of Esau and the lowland Philistine, and they shall inherit the field of Ephraim and the field of Samaria. And this exiled force of children of Israel were with the Canaanites as far as France and the exile of Jerusalem as far as Spain. They will inherit the cities of the south. Then the saviors will ascend Mount Zion to judge Esau's mountain, and the kingdom will be Hashem's. That's what we're going to be seeing. To me, it's like reading what's happening last week and what's going to be happening next week. And that's what this is about. And that's where we need to be reading the prophets now. We need to be reading them and praying them and focusing on them and praying for each other because this is just a time of prayer. There's a war happening for our consciousness and for our awareness. And I want to bless you and bless all of us that Hashem should fill us with his light our hearts are all shattered. We're all broken. May Hashem pour His light into that shattered brokenness and use us as vehicles to bring His redemption to the world. May it be soon, may it be soon in our days. Amen. So now I'm going to take this opportunity to bless all of you, my greatest joy, for you're such a blessing to us. And of course, as you know, I am not of the children of Aaron. I'm not a Cohen. I'm not a priest, but the Torah tells us that the nation of Israel, were a nation of priests. So, with that, I will bless all of you. May God bless and protect you. May He shine His countenance upon you. And may He give you peace. Amen. To join the Land of Israel Fellowship, to attend our live, interactive Zoom sessions, to participate in the Fellowship Connection Q&A events, or even just to binge on past sessions, click on the link below, or go to thelandofisrael.com backslash fellowship and join our family of hundreds of people from around the world broadcasting light from the land of Israel, live from the Judean frontier.